step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height in the hat, put it all in the hat. Hello and welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig and this is episode 14 with my very dear friend Vicky Weiss. Big hand for Vicky. Welcome Vicky. Thank you, Avram. It is so nice to have you here. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. The crowd is delighted. <laughs> Now, Vicki Weiss, people are asking, why would I have Vicki Weiss on the show? And the answer to the question is, because when I'm sick, you bring me soup. <laughs> that is the answer. Really, I'm serious. And do you know why I say that? Why? Why, why do you think I say that? Uh, because it's true. <laughs> no, so it is true. But why would I have someone on the show who is generous in terms of bringing uh, lentil soup? Because you're intrigued why somebody would do that. Listen, this show is very close. This show is all about positivity. It's all about generosity. It's all about sharing with the world something that needs to be heard. And that's that's goodness, right? Hmm. And that's about people's personalities who are willing to go out there and strengthen the world in which we live. So when I got sick over the course of our relationship um, and you would call me up and you say, Avram, I'm bringing you over soup. <laughs> Which is what you do, right? Yes. <laughs> and then you come over, and not only would you bring me one soup, like a wicked vegetable soup, you'd bring me over a lentil soup. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd even bring me over pasta, like, what was it, like a macaroni and cheese. Mm-hmm. And you make it yourself, and yes. it's fantastic. Thank you. And I have to tell you something. It's just one of those things that I'm really, really grateful for. I'm glad that you're grateful. And I, it's from... It gives me great pleasure, honestly, every time. That, I know. And I, I remember, Avram, it was hard for me the first time I wanted to come by with soup or challah or something. You had your heart, your first, your, your heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that. And uh, <laughs> I remember calling you and you're like, no, no, it's okay. And I, and I was persistent. I, it was really important to me to come over with something um, and and help you out during a really difficult time. Well, uh, let me ask you a very, very straight, honest question. How open is my heart? You have a huge heart. Well, no, I know I have a big heart, but how open is it? It's open. Is it? I think it's open. Okay, so off the air. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you would tell me, you know, Avram, you're not always that easy to get close to. Not at all. I'm okay with you saying that. I think <laughs> I think at the beginning, there was some resistance. Right. So in the beginning. In the ahead. beginning, there was resistance. Your heart was not that open. But soon as I broke that barrier, you welcomed my soup bringing visits as much as possible. Yeah. So I have to tell you straight. And I'm probably like most Torontonians, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe even Ontarians, could be across the nation. Mm-hmm. So... You asked me once, let's have a coffee at Starbucks. That How many years ago would that have been? 2011. Yes, 2011. You have a magnificent memory, by the way. Mm-hmm. And that would be eight years ago. And I'm thinking, 
ah, you know, we're not close. We don't really see each other. We used to work at the United Jewish Appeal together, but I have other things to do. But eventually I thought, okay, you know what? Sometimes I'll tell myself, Vic, I'll tell myself, Avram, it's enough of staying inside. It's enough of staying home. Like, get out there and see the world, right? Don't just read about it. Don't just do things online. So I went and it was fun. Yes. You're very fun. We've had great conversations. We've had great conversations over soup, over meals, generally breaking bread, which is, I've always believed that I'm not going to get to know anybody unless they come to my house, unless I go to their house. Uh, I could be meeting friends in coffee shops for 15 years, but unless I go to your house or you come to my house, I'm not going to get to know who you are. So I, I agree with that. I once had a fellow who would not invite me over to his house, although he used to come over here. And eventually I said, enough is enough. You don't have me over. You're not coming over here again. And that was it. Mm-hmm. But but you're a unique personality, like highly unique, really. Like I'm still trying to figure you out. <laughs> and we started working together around 1995 at the United Jewish Appeal. We weren't together too long there. But again, we stayed in touch. But there's something about your personality which is so different than the average bear. <laughs> well, I have memories of you from UJA, and we've discussed this. Like, yeah. So you called me Vicky, Vic Von Vic, or Vic Von Vic was my nickname. Vicky Von Vicky, yeah. yes. And I also... Should we say why? We should say why. There was a TV show that you used to watch. WKRP. There you go. Yeah. And I also remember... Wait, wait, wait. And yeah. there was a client of the radio station. You know, radio stations sell ads. Yes. And there were blue jeans called Vicky Von Vicky jeans. <laughs> I'm sure many of our listeners know about that. <laughs> Excuse me. So when I met you, I go, oh, Vicky Von Vicky. And I still call you that. Yeah, it's yes. true. And I remember you walking around the office on a pretty regular basis saying, does anybody have a bobby pin? Does anybody have a bobby pin? Because you're meeting your mom for lunch uh, and you needed to get a bobby pin for a kippah. And, and you have such beautiful hair and, you. and you needed to anchor your kippah in your hair. And you're always looking for a bobby pin. And I also remember you coming to the office in shorts. In the summer, and there was some like discussion over, you know, is that appropriate for Avram to be in shorts in a office setting? Was I didn't even know about that discussion. I I remember. Oh, really? I I remember that. Um, that, But that's about the only thing I remember about working with you because I wasn't there that long, and you might have been on your way out as I was there. Well, can I tell you something? This whole thing about shorts, I, I really was always under the impression that wearing shorts is fine. There's no issue behind it. In other words, especially if they're nice shorts, right? So so I want my, my friend Bert's son had his bar mitzvah and the prelude to it was a service on Thursday at a Sephardic shul synagogue here in Toronto. I think, okay, so it's a Thursday. What's the problem here? <laughs> I'll wear shorts. <laughs> You're throwing up on no, this, are you? I'm laughing because it sounds like nothing's really changed since 1995. Not right? a that- thing. So I go to the shul and I'm wearing shorts. And they were, you know, decent shorts yes. from the Gap yep. or what have you. And I walk in and everybody looks at me like I'm a nutbag. And I have to tell you something. To this day, Dave is now 21, so it's about eight years ago. To this day, like, honestly, every time I meet my friends, you know, or before I meet them, they'll go, oh, so you're going to be wearing shorts, right? (laughs) It was very embarrassing. I had a... It was a a wrong choice. I had a moment like that a few weeks ago where I was invited to a party. Yeah, I like this story. And it said... 
you know, togas are welcome. Yes. So I discussed it with a few friends. What should I wear? What are you wearing? And, you know, one friend said I'm wearing a, a dress and, and I said I'm going to wear jeans. But I discussed with a few friends before and they said, no, no, you got to go in a toga. You got to go in a toga. So I drape myself in this sheet and my friend twists it and ties it and put on uh, some fun glasses. And I show up and I'm the only person in there a toga. in a toga. And yeah. I quickly turn around and I hopped into an Uber, went home, put on some jeans and returned to the party and had a great evening. Well, why did you go home though? Because I had to, I had to get out of the, the, were you the sheet. Oh, big time! You were. I couldn't even get through the door. The guy, was, right. the host, opened the door, and he he starts laughing. I start laughing. I see that he's in normal clothes. I see the guests behind him; they're all in normal clothes. Nobody was wearing. A Nobody's seat. wearing a sheet, and I'm there with the sheet. Now, if everybody would have been wearing a toga, or half the people, you would have been completely hundred percent. See, this is the interesting thing I find about you. <laughs> It really is. It's like you have this gumption to play. Yes, I do. I'm, I, I, That's I'm it. curious. You love playing. I, I, I'm adventurous. I am open-minded. Yes. So the invitation said, togas are welcome. And I took it literally. But apparently, I was the only one. <laughs> are you, do you have fear inside of you? Would you say you're a frightened person? Sometimes. I, I, yeah, on occasion, I, I'm, I'm afraid of something. What would you be fearful of? Um, so I've been to a lot of events in, in over the last 10 years and, and sometimes I, I'm not as comfortable as I'd like to be at these events because I'm the oldest one there perhaps yeah, yeah. or um, I got there a little too late because I had something else to do but it's mostly because I might not fit in okay. because of the age and now I'm it's sort of reconsidering what events I go to or if it's creepy Correct. A word that Correct. women use is creepy. So I want to dive into your life here because I think that the root or the roots of your life are very important, as they are for most people, really to determine who you are today. Now, you were born in Ottawa, Ontario, which is the capital of Canada. Yes. And you're, what are you, about 50? I'm turning 54 on April 2nd. Are you excited? Yes, I'm going to be landing in Israel, and I can't think of a better place to celebrate my birthday Lovely. than on the beach. Three times high, three times 18. Congratulations, Mazel Tov. Thank you. Um, and you were born to two people who were very adventuresome in their own right, I think. Um, your father was Herb, Correct. and your mom was Dina. Yes. Now. Today, in memory of your father, may yes. he rest in peace. We'll talk about that shortly. Yes. I'm wearing your father's shirt. You are, and I, I love, I love every time I see you where you're when you're wearing one of my dad's shirts. It, it gives me such joy. Like does, such, does it? Yes, it huge, does. Huge. It's so important to me, and I'm so glad that I did that. So, so, so tell us what you did. I had some clothes that belonged to my dad. Yeah. They were really nice clothes. I didn't want to throw them away. I didn't want to go. I didn't want them to go to charity even, I, but I couldn't keep them. But I wanted them to be used. I didn't want to have them sit in a box or hanging up in a closet. So I thought to myself, okay, Avram like, looks like the same size as my dad. He's a big boy. And, and, you know, and I brought them over to you. You were open-minded to accept them. Mm -hmm. And then every time you wear, I, I, I'm like so happy. I have no qualms about wearing a dead man's clothes. <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't happened to me that somebody's approached me saying, hey, would you like something? Like, would you? Would you wear a, a dead woman's clothes? 
Yes, probably, because I'd want to be close to that. Let's say it's a friend. I'm not quite sure if somebody said, hey, this belonged to my mother. Would you like to wear it? It depends on the relationship, depends on the clothes. I'd probably say yes. What if she died in that particular dress? Would you wear that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm being no, silly. No. <laughs> so I have to say about your father, like yes. for instance, the, the, the shirt that I'm wearing, it's a lime green shirt. Mm-hmm. It is very soft. It's almost like a polo shirt, yeah. right? Or my Lacoste. dad loved my dad loved color. So green and orange were like two colors he loved as he got older. Um, my mom liked good quality, so yeah. he had good quality clothes because she most likely bought it for him or picked it out. Right. Uh, yeah, he dressed well. Right, right. So this is Herb. Yes. And Herb, uh, and every guy listening to this show <laughs> is just going to adore this next part. So yes. stay tuned. We're going to a commercial. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Herb, your father, owned a sports store. Yes. Oh. Every daughter's dream. Isn't because it? I went to visit his store every Saturday, like clockwork with a girlfriend we hopped on the bus and we flirted with his staff he had all sorts of good-looking guys working for him and and we went and it was great and not to mention before camp i would go visit my dad and sort of walk around the store picking out nike shoes nike you know t-shirts and adidas running shoes and whatever i wanted tennis rackets it was fun and would you just take it yeah just take it so uh, and they would put it in a bag? <laughs> yeah, because in those days there was no computers, no, no UPC codes. Like you just, I just grabbed it. What, what kind of shoes would you get? So it's interesting. I uh, somebody went. We uh, a few of us went to a funeral, sadly, in Montreal. All high school friends. And this, the, the thank you. And and the driver, the guy who was driving, he remembered. He said to me, Vicky, you know what I remember from you from high school? You always had nice running shoes. Yeah. And then I. I started to think about it. You know, most kids had one pair of running shoes, right? But I had a selection of running shoes because my dad owned a sports store. So all my shoes looked beautiful and clean and fresh. And I had a collection of Converse running shoes, Adidas, Gazelles, I remember, um, Tree Torns. I love all those. You know, because I played tennis. Like It was uh, was great fun. Would you give shoes to other people as an example? Like if your friends came to the store with you? Or would your dad say, honey, you know what? This is where I draw the line. You know, I don't think anybody asked. I would have asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, I went with gr- like girlfriends. With girls, I didn't go yeah. with a guy. Yeah. I was like 12, 13, 14. Now and you I dated my... in those days? You were dating? I, at 16, I, I dated a guy. And I can't remember him saying, hey, Vicky, let's go. It was really a girlfriend thing that we did on a Saturday morning. Oh, man, are you kidding? What an idiot that guy was. <laughs> Honestly. When but I... at his funeral, let me tell you, there was a ton of guys yeah, who, who was at your dad's funeral all sorts of guys who had memories of of going to my dad's store with their bar mitzvah gift certificates because every guy in ottawa had received a, a gift certificate right. um and some of his former staff showed up many of his former staff showed up a lot of people yeah, were there yeah yeah a lot I remember my dad's funeral and also the Shloshim afterwards, which is the 30 days following the, the, the uh, death is in Jewish law. And there were like a thousand people there because my father was very ecumenical and there were people of all backgrounds. And it, it was uh, really something because you start to realize your father wasn't only your father. He wasn't. He was more than that. Mm-hmm. He, he was an important person. Could you almost say that your father owning a sports store, meeting all these people, including NHL hockey players, right, and parliamentarians, 
Would you say that there was sort of a leadership quality to that, or is that is that pushing it? He had an impact on them. There's it, no doubt in my mind, and my dad was extremely open-minded, so I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I remember he hired somebody who had just been released from prison. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. my dad believed in giving people second chances, um, and it was really nice, and I remember that. How was your mom with that? Not quite sure. I've never really discussed it uh, with how her. How were you with it? I was fine with it. I was fine with it. The, all the staff were great. They were all great. I always felt welcome in the store. Did it, you? Oh yeah, it was so much fun. He had like a ton of inventory. Yeah, without, <laughs> when he had store closed after forty three years, yes. my mom threw a party, and all I remember is me, my sister, and my mother in the back crying, were you? Our, crying like there was a death. That type of. I, in fact, I can't remember. I was so sad, so very like deeply sad that this store was closing because it was such a huge part of my life, like huge part of my life. All those trips every Saturday morning, visiting my dad, calling yeah. my dad, never worked for my dad, never even worked for my mom. Could you have worked for your father? Probably, but I just never, I, I just didn't, I, I liked food. So I just wanted to sell food. I you didn't do want, like food, I Derek. didn't want to sell running shoes. Really? I didn't want to sell, my mom had a lingerie store, which we'll talk about later. But um, I, my first job was working at, at Holt Renfrew in their gourmet food department. Do you remember your father's phone number at the store? Yeah, it's funny. It's on this this piece of stationery. Don't look at the piece. Just I, I tell me what it, it is. Uh, 226-0738. Do you remember your home phone number in Ottawa no, when I, you were was, first growing up? No, I can't remember. So my father had a, a, an office at the synagogue. I think it was uh, 519-743-8422. And in those days, you'll remember, they used to put names to the number. So it was Russell. Do you remember this? It no. was It was 519-743-RUSSELL-8422. Like, in other words, they would take the, the letter of that number and they would apply some sort of name to it. In this case, Russell. Hmm. So it, it was the most interesting time. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay. So, so we're getting a sense of who your dad is. And I'm doing this for a reason. We're okay. going on a path here to really find out who you are, Vic. Where, sure. where all that generosity comes from. Now, your father was a giving fellow. A hundred percent. He was the type of guy who went to Minion, but not to pray. He cut bagels. You have to translate. What's Minion? Oh, uh, Minion, uh, morning service for the Jewish community, At for morning synagogue. prayers. And you generally need <clears throat> 10 people, 10 men. And my dad really did not want to pray, but he wanted to help out. And there's usually a breakfast after the morning service. Right. And my dad would cut bagels. And he, he loved talking to, he was so he was a social. Schmoozer. A huge, he had more friends, like, yeah. He was a real, there was a breakfast club. And I I never saw my dad in the morning. He was always gone to, to this breakfast club. I had no idea, what, like, if this was, ex, if this existed or if this was just, you know, <laughs> what, something he said. And then he had a heart attack. And I remember visiting the hospital and there was this huge mother basket of fruit in his room signed by quote unquote the breakfast club with a list of like 13 men yeah he couldn't have made that up he did not make that up right, right. Yeah. and i love guys like your dad because i went to synagogue too after my uh, parents died and there was a breakfast club as well and there was always there was always be some guy there yeah who never prayed yeah you he, know he, my dad had no interest never in prayed right <laughs> what did your dad wear the phylacteries that he worked to fill in I never. I don't think I ever saw him. Did he have a? On. Did he have a oh, set? Oh, he had. He had a set. But 100%. he didn't necessarily wear them. No, right? no. So they, they they would probably go. Herb, you better get out there and start cutting those bagels. You go. Oh yeah, I better go. Right. <laughs> Miss the Torah reading the whole thing. Right. But I know there's always a person like that in the minion. Now, what's really interesting is 
when your father passed away, mm-hmm. um, so we were saying Kaddish at the same time. Correct. Because my mother had died. It's such a stark thing to hear yourself mm-hmm. say as yeah. my mother yeah. had died. Yeah. Sometimes I look at pictures of you and your father who was about six foot four. Yes. And and I see how much you loved him and I think, oh my God, he's not in your world anymore. No. That's, that's just so sad, isn't it? A rabbi once told me there's an inherent tragedy to existence and that's that you lose people whom you love, mm-hmm. right? Anyways, but I have such amazing memories. See, this is so, what I like about you, Vic. Yeah, I have such amazing memories. This is what I like about you. You're great at that. So, anyways, long and short of it, I remember you coming to me and say, Avram, let's go to Adith Israel Synagogue together. They have a great <laughs> breakfast club. And I'm thinking, really? That's what, that's what we're going to do? You yeah. know? Did I ever go with you? I went with you to, to Beth David. To Beth David. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you ever joined me to Adith Israel. I think you liked the Breakfast Club at Beth David. Am I correct? They had the best breakfast. Right? Out of Is all that right? The, uh, you are right. Out of, out of all the synagogues, and trust right. me, I saw a few that year, uh, they had the best breakfast. I and th- the nicest people. Nice Lovely people. people. Lovely people. There's a woman there who's got to be 90 years old. She actually reads the Torah. She studied it, and she reads the Torah on the new new moon. And she's the sweetest. She called me. She emails me regularly. Avram, please come back to shul, you know. And I, I sort of have <laughs> nice. this affair, like an nice. e-affair, going with this 90-year-old woman. And I quite like it. Cute, I, cute. I quite like it. So, oh, just tell me, what was so great about the Beth David uh, Breakfast Club? No, the Adith Israel. Adith. Israel. Oh, I thought you said Bet David. Sorry, out of Israel Come was on. better than Bet David. Oh yeah, oh, I, Hands hope, down. I was hoping to boost membership. Sorry, at Bet David. sorry, 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 sorry. Was, there, was the Bet David one okay though? It was okay. It was okay. So what did you like? Did you have herring? And herring. Adam? It did waitresses smoke like smoke salmon, beautiful <laughs> fruit, uh, the oatmeal, brown sugar with your oatmeal. Like they paid attention to all sorts of detail, and the people were wonderful. I had. One friend, a senior citizen friend, who who uh, used to pour me a glass of scotch <laughs> every single morning <laughs> on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, are you good with scotch in the morning? I'm very good with scotch you in the morning. A hundred percent. Well, what kind of herring was it? Do you know? Schmaltz, definitely. Had schmaltz. schmaltz. Yeah. And what's the other one called? Schmaltz and pickled. Are you a herring person? I love schmaltz herring. And do you like sardines? Not so much. No, no. Not okay. So much. What do you have with your uh, herring? Tam Tam and Scotch. What about Air Kichlach? Do you ever have Air Kichlach? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. You know what about. they are, right? Yeah, nothings, nothings. They're called nothings. Nothings, I know. And they really are. Uh, yeah, they're actually advertised in the store as nothings. It's bizarre how we've come up with this cookie or whatever you want to call it called the nothing. Called the nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, and I grew up with them. Yes, nothings, yeah, yeah in Ottawa. Yeah. A hundred, who uh, who Rito, owned the bakery in Rito Ottawa? Rito Bakery, the Kardish family. Right, right. Yeah. So your mom owned a, a, neglig- a negligee store. Lingerie, La- yes. Negligee. Is there a word negligee? There is. Or does that make sense? I don't know. Lingerie. How was that to have your mom owning a lingerie store? What was that like? What was the culture around that? That's a good question. I didn't. I hung out, to be honest, more at my dad's sports store did than you? I did at the lingerie store. Okay. I was a little young, and it wasn't something I gravitated towards. Uh, I did hang out at her store because it was close proximity to the Holt Renfrew yes. and the gourmet food department. So that's where I hung out on Thursday nights and Saturdays. And on breaks, I would go visit my mom's store naturally and also visit my dad's store. It was really nice. We lived three blocks away. They had a condo that was three blocks away from their both their stores. It was, yes. a, it was a great life. It was a, a block away from parliament buildings. It was really nice. But did you have a sense of, of, of thongs and bustiers? Did you start to understand that stuff? No. 
because you were too young. I, <laughs> Is that why? A little young and not the right body type for those particular products. So I remember my mom, and now we're getting really personal. That's okay. She, it's just us. She didn't even carry a bra that fit me because all her clientele were much bigger than I was. Bigger, and bigger. I remember having to go somewhere else. Really? Get, yeah. Wait, was, she, was she angry? <laughs> no, we laughed about it. We still laugh about yeah, it. She should yeah. have carried something your size. She, Why wouldn't she do that? Because I was the only person. Like, really, I was the only person. <laughs> the interesting thing about lingerie stores is you go in there, and you have this sense that it, it's very sexy, of, of which it should be, and it is. Um, but it's not necessarily for those women with those perfect bodies whom we all want to be. Right, but I can't tell you that I have a robe to this day. Oh, you told the, me yeah, right? the yeah. pink robe that is from my mom's store in perfect condition yes. because she bought really good quality merchandise. Um, I remember after she closed her store, I had to go out and buy bathing suits and and pajamas and nylons and socks, and yeah. I was like, "Really? They cost that much?" <laughs> like because I was so unaware. However, I'm, I'm really grateful because she saved me a lot of money and my dad. Like if I think about all the merchandise I got from their stores, it, it, it was very nice. So you kind of grew up like in a lingerie sporting bubble. You're correct. <laughs> so you have a sister, right? Yes. And there are you, you two parents, your sisters, there's the four of you. Your mom wasn't, a, let's say, a regular cook. She didn't like cooking so much. It was the generation of convenience food. So, you so Duncan Hines cake was like something my mother made regularly out like of a, a box. Like a bunting cake? Uh, correct. Yes. She made a famous lemon poppy seed cake. She made a, something called a green dessert, which was my, we still love to this yeah. day. But um, the, And some, oh, chocolate chews, which are, um, <laughs> you take chow mein noodles and put them in melted chocolate. Really? And then dump them onto wax paper. And oh. they're called chocolate chews. Well, they were good. Deli- deli- and frozen. You freeze them. Uh, what, what was the green? What was the Two green dessert? Ingredients. No, uh, what was the green dessert? Oh, the green dessert. You took lemon. Sh- it's called Sheriff, I believe, is the brand name. Lemon Sheriff pie filling, and you add green coloring to it, and then you layer it with those. It's a, a specific cookie that's still out there to this day. Yeah. Hard to find, but it's still out there. It's by Mr. Christie, and it's a black round wafer. Um, and you layered the pie filling, the black wafer, the pie filling, the black wafer. You put it in the refrigerator. Delicious. Really? And icebox cake. Oh, okay. Icebox. You remember icebox cake? I did do. you grow up with yes, that? Yes, I Those did. Those black cookies with whipped cream. Listen, you have to understand something. We grew up in a kosher environment. Yes, yeah. So I, I was like 38 the first time I went out to a restaurant. No, so I didn't grow up with any of that. Like, for instance, you guys used to go out to pretty standardized restaurants. Like, for instance, where would you, would you go to, um, what was it called? You told me recently. I grew up with Ponderosa. Ponderosa, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I grew up with Chinese food on a regular basis. The kids on our street thought something was wrong with my mother because <laughs> we ate out on, like, I, I would venture to say about three times a week. Really? Yeah, Kentucky Fried Chicken every week in a big bucket, brought it to the beach. Yeah. Were you resentful of that or did you enjoy it? No, it was amazing. It was was, amazing? Yeah. What did they serve at Ponderosa? Um, Steaks. You got a tray. It was sort of self-service in those days. And there was a salad bar and you picked your steak, your mashed potato. And and the salad bar, I remember it like like, like <laughs> as I'm talking about it, I'm remembering. You're excited. It. Yeah, yeah. Why did Ponderosa close down? I don't know. Come so so the four of you would be sitting at the table. You'd probably know the server by this point, no? 
in the Chinese restaurants, 100%. Do you remember the name or anything? No, oh. uh, at the Yangtze and Yangsheng. That Those were the, the two restaurants that like I sort of grew up in. Okay, so you're sitting there, the four of you, and are you are you talking? Is there talking in your family? What's happening at dinner? You know, I can't really remember, to be honest. Like, I, I don't have memories of the conversation, if it was the four of us, the three of us, if we had after school activities. I just remember the food. Is that bad? <laughs> and you always love food. Always love food. Right. So that was sort of yeah. the, the seedlings yeah. of it, yeah. right? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Was there anybody in your life, though, who actually made for you or your for your family like gourmet food? In other words, what was the genesis of this incredible passion that you have today for food? It so wasn't Ponderosa. So it's not the restaurants. It's not anybody's cooking. My the, the condo in my dad's store was very close to a gourmet grocery store called um, A.E. Price yeah. at Laurier and Bank. And my dad's store was at Bank and Queen and my mom's store was at Bank and Spark Street Mall. So this gourmet grocery store, my dad would go visit on a regular basis and come home with kumquats and come home with guava and papaya mm. and passion fruit and interesting. And, and I'm young at this age. And it was owned by a Jewish uh, family in Ottawa. What was their and, names? Oh, I can't remember. I really can't remember. Nice people. Yeah, I did. I, I had met them. Um, and so my dad would go to this grocery store and come home with interesting fruit and and vegetables and that's what sort of got me onto food and same right. with and same with working at the gourmet section of whole Renfrew. I got introduced to Fauchon and and Fortin and Mason and all these and Newhouse chocolates when I was sixteen. Yeah. And I still remember the brand names and I'm I'm turning fifty four. So yeah. So it would had you, an you would on you me. bring the food home from Whole Renfrew? Would you buy stuff there? No, I ate the damaged chocolates in the back room you and gained old. like ten pounds. <laughs> yeah, that would happen. <laughs> That's that what happen. happened because the chocolates flew from Belgium to, <laughs> to you know, Ottawa and they broke. And I was like, oh yes. <laughs> and we'd be in the back room and we'd eat. Did you always enjoy them, or was there like how long were you at Whole Renfrew for? How oh, years. And they loved me. And like they and even. In university, I needed a summer job, yeah. and they continued to hire me every summer till one year my sister was hired, and they wouldn't hire me back because she was working there, and I was so disappointed. Why? 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 Those nepotism um, rules. Nepotism. Okay. Yeah, and she was there before me, so I had to find another job, and I found a job in a croissant store, and that was the first time I had to make a cappuccino and yeah. a cafe au lait, and right. I was panicked out of my mind, and it's still something I, I remember how it's technical, and I was mm -hmm. young, and yeah. I also, I often wonder, you're behind the counter there, and someone's waiting, yes, for a cappuccino, Americano, and uh, it's not that simple. I mean, it's it takes time. It's not that time, simple, that's right. Right? And and they're watching you the whole time, and then they taste it, and you're looking at that taste. <laughs> Were you good at that stuff? No, I was not good. It was not my favorite like, job. Like, how did you know you weren't good? I think it took too much time. I, I don't think I was very fast. Would and people I, ever say to you, oh, this is too bitter? I can't remember if somebody complaining about the taste. I do remember, like, I was very aware. Did I get the foam right? Did right. I do it? Yeah, there's technique. I was not a memorable summer job for me. No. My favorite summer job actually was working uh, at a Chipwich stand. Yes. So you remember Chipwich, yes. those cookies with ice cream in the middle? And I worked outdoors on Confederation Bridge, which 
connected sort of Rideau Center to Spark Street Mall right near the Chateau Laurier. And there I was outside meeting all these other outdoor vendors. And it was just fun to be outdoors. It was fun to be with food fun to meet other vendors. I think I got paid cash every night. Yeah, it's Yeah, it's just your level of appreciation for fun is, 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 is much higher than most people, at least people here in Toronto. I just think you're a very fun person at your core. Well, I hope to, I'm, I'm sitting in front of these two letters that my parents wrote me when I was in camp. And, yeah. and those letters will speak volumes okay. as to why I, you describe me as fun. Before we read those letters, yes. and I'm excited about those letters, I just want to tell you about working outside. My dear friend, Ellie Rubenstein, we did an episode with yes. Ellie. He's a spiritual leader at Habonim, and he's national director of March of the Living, takes young people to Auschwitz in Poland. Anyways, one summer, he and I decided that we were going to buy a crepe cart <laughs> from these two young women, very attractive women, by the way, um, who had done extraordinarily well one summer. And we thought, okay, we can do this. And, you know, it had a little flame that you had to light outside. <laughs> You're probably familiar with such things. And we bought it off them, I think, for $5,000. Wow, yeah, the wow. Crepe cart. How old were you? We, we were probably early 20s okay. or something. And uh, somehow we rigged it up to my vehicle. And Ellie's not much for these things. He probably wrote speeches for the crepe cart or something. Because he's you can't put him in front of a crepe cart and expect him to sell or make the crepe. That's okay. just not his thing. Not that it's mine, by the way. So anyways, we go out there. And the entire summer, I think we were approached maybe twice and probably made one crepe. And the flame went out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry so at the, about at that. At the end of it, I think we took the card and we rolled it off a cliff or something. But it didn't. It did not. It did, did not, not quite work out, and we lost a lot of money. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so, um, so you went to camp. Which camp was it? I went to Benebrith first, and only to discover that Camp Benebrith of Ottawa was a great camp with lots of people, but it was not the right camp for me. Why? It was just too big. I I do. I'm very consistent, you so like I like small. I like small companies to work for. I like small camps. I like small facilities. I just like small. What is it about small? Comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Just more comfortable. Okay, and, and so you yeah, went to which I can camp? thrive. I can thrive. I'm not going to thrive in a big place. So I switched camps to something called WabiCon, which yeah. was in Lake Tomogamy. Beautiful camp, small camp, and the best thing about WabiCon was that there was no rules, no schedule. I, I, sorry, I shouldn't say no rules. There was one rule that you can't be in your cabin. But if you wanted to swim for nine hours a day, if you wanted to play tennis all day, if you want to water ski all day, they were all too happy to hear that. That's a great long, camp. Which is a great camp. Because normal camps, yeah. you have to be at arts and crafts at nine o'clock right. and you have to be swimming at 9.45 and at 10.30 you have to be you know, playing soccer and at 11 o'clock you have to be somewhere else. And I didn't want that. I, I wanted to do my own thing. I sort of marched my own. <laughs> you definitely do. Vic. I do. Where, so, where was WabiCon? Well, uh, Lake Tomogamy, North Bay. North, and, North Bay. And and how did you get there? Bus? We took a bus and then we got into a boat. It was on an island. Oh, and nice. the only way to get to the camp was a boat. Nice. So they also had another rule there that there was no junk food allowed right. because it was in the wild type of thing and they didn't want animals and they inspected your bags to make sure that there was no potato chips or cup of soup or 
licorice. Yeah, and, and I, I don't remember. I have no memory of, of having, you know, a junk night with all your cabin mates to huh. eat food. It wasn't allowed at all. Okay, okay. Yeah. So do you remember the family that owned the camp? Yeah, Gordy Wolf, Gordy and Linda Wolf. From here in Toronto. Correct, correct. And he sold it because he became director of JF and CS and he right. couldn't do both. Special man. But he did an unbelievable job. He hired special counselors. I remember the counselors used to stand at lunch hour and and make these announcements like, hi, I'm John. Today we're making, you know, candles. Meet us by the tree at yeah. two o'clock. Hi, my name's Joni. We're swimming across the lake today. <laughs> Meet at one o'clock by the canoes. Hi, I'm so-and-so. And all the staff did that every single day. And you could pick and choose what you wanted to do. What an awesome it, it was it was It was beyond awesome. Oh, man, I went to Hasidic <laughs> camp. <laughs> Not <laughs> Same. Not the same. Yeah, yeah. Come meet Not us down at the shul. We'll no, be learning no. tractate brachot for the next four hours. That's what I heard. Sorry. No, it's okay. I yeah. had a good time myself. Okay. So, so you go to this camp. You're swimming across the lake. Yeah. You're having a wonderful time. Were you a leader within the camp? Not. No. No. Not. Not in camp. In camp days, I wasn't. Uh, I thrived differently in swimming, for example. So I swam all the time. I was that sort of loner kid who swam all day long, this big triangle over and over and over again. I won an award, which I still have. What was the award? uh, Like most amount of laps type of thing because I swam like (laughs) all summer long. It it was great. It was was exactly what I needed to do. Uh, From what perspective? I wanted to swim. I loved it. And you felt I, I free. Was, I felt free. I was all too happy. So I wasn't a social butterfly. I wasn't picking up guys. I wasn't, you know, a leader. Because everybody sort of did their own thing. Don't yeah. forget, you weren't in a group and somebody needed to be take a leadership role. The emphasis was on developing you as an individual. Wow. So from that perspective, I I really thrived there because I did what I wanted to do, which was swim. It was great. Yeah, and you became a very good swimmer, right? Thank you. I, I, I like to think that I'm a good swimmer. I'm not a fast swimmer, but I, I can I have endurance. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about you, by the way. Your capabilities are, are very, very incredible. Like, when you set yourself to something, you do very well at it, right? Thank you. And, Thank and you. swimming is one of those examples. Well, I, I'd like to point out that my dear swim instructor, I'm still friends with to this day, who taught me how to swim at Camp Birth of Ottawa, Val Rakow. Yes. And every time I see her, and I invited her to my 50th birthday party, which was so cool to have some camp counselors right. at this party. Right. But Val really, I, I can't, I was young. I was like nine years old, nine, ten. But for whatever reason, I got turned on to swimming because of she was my instructor. Were you ever home, homesick? I don't recall. I, I really think I was okay with being away. Yes. Um, my parents, I had a, t- a tremendous amount of freedom growing up. I lived in a great neighborhood, a safe neighborhood. We were on the street playing. I always felt sort of comfortable being away from the house. What street did you live on in Ottawa? In the, on, in the East End, I grew up on Wingate. Um, and then my parents, around grade five, we moved to the West End because my parents thought there was like more of a Jewish population there. So I moved to a street called Westminster and went to a high school called Nepean High School, which was three blocks away from my school. And I had the best time. So why I ask you what street you live on is because I can hear Bernie Farber's voice in my head. (laughs) Bernie Farber also was a guest on this show and he's a leader in the Jewish community. And uh, I can hear Bernie going, oh, Westminster, I know that street. My friend Bobby lived on that street. You know, people love hearing that. I'm from Kitchener and I just posted something there about my childhood buddy, John Strauss. 
all oh, of a yeah. sudden all the kitchenites <laughs> came out they go oh yeah i remember stars menswear that's what the family owns so people like to think about where they came from on what street you know they remember but okay so where i'm going with this is that you showed me oh we're going to read the letters mm -hmm. so before we talk about your leadership you you told me about these letters that you had i said bring a couple of them along what what's the history of these letters where are they from who are okay. they from so i have a bag of letters that yeah. i kept when I was at camp in university that were written by my mom, my dad, some good friends, some acquaintances, and I have still quite a like collection of them, and every once in a while I pull them out and laugh my guts out. Yeah. And it's like just so lovely. And they wrote these letters to you? In camp or at university. These ones are definitely from camp. And, so, and it would be snail mail? Oh yeah. So they wrote them out. Can you just show them to me? I wanna see your mom and dad's writing. Who, who's that one that over That's there? That's my dad. Look how he wrote, I love you. It's I know, like, I know. It's like in a 26 point yeah, font. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he must yeah, have loved you so yeah, much. Yeah, it's a great letter. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, hi, Vicki. Here's your request. It was great seeing you again, although I must say that you look like you lost weight and look good. Vic, try and excuse mummy. She meant well with her letters. Thank God we have a woman like mum in our house because she gives me a lift being like she is. Don't knock her down. She always has our interests at heart. Bagel, by the way, Bagel's the dog, looks great after his haircut and wash. The hall looks great, and the man came today to lift the carpet and wax the floor. The house will certainly look good and different inside. Well, so long for now. Say hello to Melissa. Mom called her mom to say she looked good. I love you, Dad. Nice. What do you take out of that letter? So how proud he was of my mom. Like the of, relationship yeah. he had with my mom yeah. was like a true romance. And he, he th there was nothing my mom could do wrong. They held hands. They held hands. They, there's a, in my mom's letter. You'll, you, <laughs> there's a reference to oh, how much they cuss, cu uh, much kiss. The, were and you cuddle. okay with that? Oh yeah. It didn't no, bother you at all. Did not bother me. So you could see them kissing. And you, you yeah, would it was, say, find it was a room. Beautiful. It was beautiful. Oh, good for you. Well, by the way, what's this whole thing about the floors being clean? What, what's that? Oh, on? my mother renovated like all the time. <laughs> she ran what? what? Renovated all the time. Right, three times in thirty exactly, years. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right. You read that. I read yeah, that on yeah, your blog. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. It's so funny that your father pointed it out because he was proud of your mother. So your your father was a man with great pride. A hundred percent. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, and really, my he he put my mom on a pedestal and loved her every single day. So your father gave you a great sense of self. Would you say, or encouraged a great sense? Yes, of self? a great sense of, of self, encouragement. Um, he was a role model. Yeah. He in many different respects, in in terms of the community, the Jewish community, and giving to the Jewish community, and and being a volunteer, um, and being humble. Do you ever remember, remember him yelling at you or putting you down? Not putting me down, uh, yelling. Sometimes? Uh, sometimes, not so much. He was so a much. sweet giant. He was a, a gentle giant. A uh, gentle giant. Yes, yes, yes. Read the letter from your oh, mom. Oh, my mom's letter is great. Yeah, just show it to me yeah, first again. Okay. Yeah, okay, good. So this is great. Um, so hi, hi, I can't even, I can't read her first line, but here it, it starts like this. If it gets greasy in spots, it's because I'm dripping in baby oil at the JCC pool, <laughs> having an extended lunch, cottage cheese and cantaloupe. The office is real cool and relaxed. 
Mr. H is at a conference in Cape Cod for a week, and what he doesn't see, he doesn't know. Would you believe I'm still doing bloody laundry? I can't believe it. Daddy has no socks for days. He almost fired me. Anyway, Mrs. Beck, who's the cleaning lady, catch how she calls her Mrs. Beck, Mm -hmm, came mm -hmm. today, and I was waiting for her to give her a tour of each room and what had to be done. She got a little pale. But as I left for work, she had the brown shower curtains in the washing machine, so I guess she'll attack whatever she can. The weekend was lovely, weather-wise and doing-wise. Friday night supper at Bubby and Zadie's. We took Bagel, who loved the fuss and attention. (laughs) Bubby gave him chopped liver, the chicken, and broccoli. He loved it. Saturday, I entertained in the garden Auntie Sue and Doris Finn. I had kiwi fruit, blueberries, and cottage cheese. Doris brought fresh-picked strawberries, and Auntie Sue brought muffins. We yummy-yummied all that. Sunday, we slept in. Oh, forgot. Saturday night, we took Aunt Sue to Mexicali Rosa's for hot food. Food. Great, you'll love it. Then to Astrolobe for some jazz. Sunday, we went to Aunt Sue's pool, took a huge veggie salad and a huge fruit salad, and the three piggies polished it off. <laughs> Sunday night, went to Landau's for coffee. Yes. That, my dear, was the weekend that that was. The schedule for this week is... Okay, just catch how busy my parents yeah, I'm were. Following, yes. Monday, going with Ingrid and Sam for supper. Tuesday, Lisa and Fred Cogan's for dinner. Wednesday, football game. Surprise, I'm going. Thursday, city meeting for boat people. Friday, dinner at Doris Finn's. Saturday, Auntie Sue's having a few people over. Sunday, engagement luncheon for um, Selena Eisenberg. How about that? Gotta go. Take care. Love you, <laughs> mommy. It's fantastic. Is that crazy? It's crazy. Yeah, I read this. That's crazy. It's almost like your family's journaling in a letter for you to sort of participate in cleaning the floors and Mrs. Beck doing this and Bagel eating liver. <laughs> like when you would read this, would you say, oh, OK, now I'm all caught up? What I when I read this, what yeah. I say to myself is like, oh, my God, I have a life just like their life. You like do. I'm busy Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. You are. I, I'm busy. And my parents were busy. They were constantly busy. That's what busy. I take out of that letter. And, and, and your, your mother and father, both of them write almost literarily. In other words, it's almost like an old British novel where, oh, Mrs. Beck came by today <laughs> and she was nasty. She was, you know, like that, yeah. right? Yeah. They talk, as, they, it was like a blog post. They, they talk as, they write as if they're talking to me. So your parents gave you that. Did, yes. did, did they also... Did they teach you how to live? In other words, would they teach you how to take care of yourself? So, you know, to make sure you were safe. Did they talk to you about about uh, how to make a living later on in life? Or was it mostly this stuff? So my parents um, gave us a sense of security. And I remember sort of like a talk, you could say, on a Saturday. Okay, you know, you're going out to this club and that club. Listen, there's no curfew, but I want you to know that if something bad happens, you can always call us. Okay. Don't hesitate to pick up the phone, whether it's five in the morning, four in the morning, you're in trouble. We won't get angry at you. We won't yell at you. We're always here for you. And I remember that. And that was like amazing that all my other friends, they had curfews, they had strict parents. And I had these sort of very independent parents who trusted us. And it was great. Did you ever call? No, I can't remember calling saying I was in trouble. Never? No, no. Uh, did your parents worry about you? Oh, 100%. They like, did worry. For the, but still, yeah. they overcame that fear themselves. Yes. So, Vic, how come you moved to Toronto? 
I got a friend from a, a phone call from a friend, Mark Chernoff, who said, Vicky, I'm leaving my job. I think you would be great at it. I think you should apply. And it was for BBYO, which was very relevant to me because I'd been very active in BBYO as a kid. So I interviewed for the job. I got the job and packed my duffel bags and moved to Marley and Riddell like every other Auto <laughs> Jewish Oregon. kid in, in 1980. BBY yeah. is the B'nai B'rith Youth Organization. Correct. It was phenomenal. A few weeks ago, I was at your house for dinner, and every single thing that you make for dinner is newfangled. <laughs> it's always innovative. It's always fascinating. And now that you're vegan, there's an added component to it. You really are a wonderful hostess, like your parents. I spend a lot of time on Pinterest. I, I can't take credit for everything it really is pinterest i spend way too much time but man it's it's amazing what you can learn from the computer from the technology your mom who runs correct mom who runs okay and 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 anyway so you show me this resume that you had of your leadership in high school and it went on for pages and pages <laughs> you were the president of this you were the prime minister of it this was so it was, I, I think you were head of a country at some no, point no. like you were involved in everything so everything. coming to toronto made sense Yes, yes, because I was deeply connected to my Jewish roots and I wanted to be in a Jewish community that was larger than Ottawa. Uh, and Toronto enabled me to be part of BBYO as an adult and be part of a Jewish community that was bigger than Ottawa. What year did you come to Toronto? 1984. What was it like when you came? It was great. Uh, I didn't make a lot of money, but it was great to connect with all sorts of old camp friends and old BBYO friends. I already had a social life before I even, it wasn't right. like I got here and I didn't know anybody. I knew plenty of people, plenty. Did you ever have a, a lack of friends? No, I don't think so. You're lucky. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. I don't know if you meet people like this, but there are people whom I meet today who don't have friends or who have one friend. You know, and they say, oh, I have one friend, great friend, and that's all I need. You and I aren't like that, and I'm not saying as to prop us up. I'm just saying it works for me to have like a plethora of friends, as an example, my son's bar mitzvah is coming up. By the way, you're invited. Thank you. No, uh, you knew that. <laughs> and like I, I can't, I can't get everybody there whom I want to come. And it, it just makes me happy to be surrounded by a huge village. How about you? It makes me happy. Right. I, I right. like meeting new people. I like inviting them over. I like all sorts of situations that gives me the opportunity to meet new people i know one night i came to your place a few years ago and i was there and i said so vic like who are these people you go i don't really know no. <laughs> right you had met them yes. online like a night exactly. before they were all foodies <laughs> yes right? yes i've done that many times they were all foodies i don't really know <laughs> most of them were interesting some of them were like asses but most of them were interesting by the way do you have a memory where you can remember what you served that night I used to write down everything, but I what I served. Okay, so I have a book that I used to write down what I served for Friday night dinner in 1989, mm. and what I served for Shavuot lunch in 1990, mm -hmm. and then I just got too much, and I stopped. I stopped talking. So how far can you remember back now? Oh, like what did you serve last Friday night? So it's on Pinterest. So some of my, my meals are actually on Pinterest. You'll see Friday night dinner, September 23rd. You'll well, see what was it? Hanukkah. What was it? I can't remember because it's documented. Okay. So, so I you can, don't have to remember. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, okay. But, so it's, it's 1984, you're, you're, you're head of BBYO, or you have a job there. How much money would you be making? $18,500. What did that pay for, your rent? My rent, which I had a roommate, um, hydro, 
some entertain a few extra dollars to go out, but not a lot of extra dollars to go out. Did not drive because I couldn't afford to drive. You went around by bus. Yep. Okay. Yep. And and did your parents give you money? No. Nope. They didn't give you money. How nope. come? I don't know. Does Never it bother you at all? No. Nope. You give your kids money? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're kind of cheap. Uh, that I'm cheap? That you, I give them money? No, you're, you're generous, but that way, but you are a little bit cheap. Yes, we've talked about that. Maybe yes. your parents taught you that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> how was BBYO? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was a great experience. I'm, I'm still in touch with Debbie Silver and um, and Miriam's on my Facebook feed, but I don't see her too often. Right, right. Some of the kids that I, uh, my, they had a program called Teen Connection for 12 and 13 year olds i'm still friends with with one of my kids um all the leadership team those kids that were a little older they were 16 I, they're all on my facebook page i see some of them hang out with some of them i mean it's it's great what kind of stuff did you do with these kids oh well, i was in charge of organizing the conferences okay and the meetings all right. Well, what did you do and with programming. the programming? What did you do with the programs or conferences? Uh, so there was a leadership retreat. There was a, a Bohart ball. There was elections. Mm -hmm. There was a, a, le a leadership training, a membership and training. There was all sorts of programs, and, and I loved it. Oh, you must have been awesome at that. I, I at, in those days, I really did like it. You um, did. I loved organizing, getting groups of people to do things, and and sorry, getting groups of people together and organizing events. I don't know why I liked it, but I liked it. But Vic, were you the type of leader who would stand up there like a Mark Sharendoff, whom we mentioned before, and uh, chest out to talk about the importance of the Jewish people and the state of Israel, and we all must come together, that sort of leader? So at 16, that's what's in my the content of my speeches. So Mark, I believe, ran for international president. Yeah. I ran for an international president. Steve Shulman ran for international president. And our speeches reflected our commitment to the Jewish community and how we thought it was important for kids to be part of a Jewish community and be in Jew Jewish youth groups. And we were like, rah, rah, let's be And you all won Jews. those positions? No, we all, we not, none of us won. You all lost. <laughs> but we, we tried. We tried our best. All right, we there needs to be best. a tragedy in every show. <laughs> but, but but again, your fist was in the sky. You're saying, we the Jewish people, yes. right? Big, big, proud Jew. And were you the type of person who's like young people would come over to you? Vicky, can, you know, I'd really want to talk to you about, you know, something that's going on or about my commitment to Israel. Like, were you good like that? I can't remember. Taking care of the young people? I can't. I just rem don't see that on no, you. No, I can't remember people coming up to me. No. Uh... But I do remember those speeches. I, I do remember the when I w worked for BBYO, yeah. the kids' speeches continued to have the same themes. Yeah. Well, when, when did you become religious? You became an Orthodox Jew. 1989, <laughs> 90. Why does your like, lip yeah. go up and your nose curls? <laughs> because it wasn't really something in my comfort zone. I didn't grow up religious. Right, right. I had met a guy who was religious and in order to proceed with that relationship I had to change my lifestyle. You actually the truth is you were really not religious. You were never anti-religious, but for instance you would have bacon back in Ottawa, right? Oh yeah. You, you did you have bacon in the house? No. This really kosher house, two separate <laughs> sets of dishes. My dad didn't even like pizza in the backyard. Like do not that's why we ate so out so much is because my dad wouldn't bring it in. It's funny, you know, because my father was an Orthodox rabbi. He he would 
turn over in gra- in his grave. Like if he were here sitting here right now, he he would like yell at you. <laughs> he would say such nonsense. You go, oh, you're bacon. How do yeah. you expect your children to marry Jews? Right? And we did, and we were proud Jews. Yeah. Proud, proud Jews. Even though you were having bacon and from Kentucky Fried Chicken, and we couldn't get enough non-kosher food in us like there wasn't enough time in the day but you were a jewish leader very crispy bacon or (laughs) (laughs) female so so let me ask you this so so you meet this guy and and he is orthodox correct and you're thinking i like this guy i did he's a good guy yes Right. He would you were you thinking he'd be a good father? Yes. He was the package. He was the package Everything. guy on paper. Everything. Yes. Okay, so the next thought was Oh, I need to give up McDonald's and uh, Burger King and crap. what am I gonna do? Yeah. And I remember talking to a cousin saying, like, I'm so conflicted, what am I gonna do? It's either and the Big Mac I, or exactly. this guy. And my cousin looked at me and she says, Really? You're gonna pass up a great guy for a Big Mac? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> So I in in the end I passed up the Big, Big Mac. Mac. I remember my last non kosher Chinese meal in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that year. And then I announced that's it, no more Chinese food no more kentucky fried chicken right, it's over right. and i ate vegetarian that's so i could st- i wasn't committed to only eating in six restaurants in the city i ate vegetarian out i was very happy to be vegetarian have a dairy kitchen for 21 years my kitchen is still dairy but now i'm vegan so there's now no dairy <laughs> do you remember your last meal before you went orthodox chinese uh, yang si or yang shang yeah, one of them what you ordered Oh, most likely a big bowl of soup, and yeah, the the wonton soup with pork wonton. and our duck. Okay, and then and then boom, you announce it, and you go, right. okay. And were you not happy, sort of being led to that orthodox, you know, well? Was I not, happy? I don't, don't think like it was like were. a lot of work. I like was studying. I studied with your sister. I studied with right. all sorts of people. I I needed to get up with the program. And right? it was worth it for love. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay, and then, and then, and then tell us like sort of the evolution of your becoming Orthodox. So we were founding what did you members. Give up? <laughs> yeah, we were founding members of the Village Shul. That okay. was a, a big. Uh, it was nice to feel comfortable in a synagogue because I didn't exactly feel comfortable in other synagogues. For right. example, Shar Shemaim, I didn't feel comfortable. Everybody was religious from birth, right. but Village Shul had a very nice, diverse group of people. I felt super comfortable. I liked everybody. Um, and that was that was awesome to be part of that. So you could be with these people and tell your bacon stories, and they would have <laughs> yes, similar. Yes, yes, right. They would have similar stories. And that's where I learned how to drink scotch. And um, yeah, there was a great group of, of people who who drank scotch after <laughs> service. So I got into. I, that's when I started to drink. I hadn't touched alcohol till I was twenty five and Orthodox. Yeah, you know these are important components of the Jewish community because you know they allow what we call balchuvas. These are people who become religious. They they're, they it allows them to sort of express. Um, things about their memory that that are probably really important, their experiences. So you'd be standing next to someone in synagogue, and you might whisper to them, "Man, I could really use some shrimp right now." Right? <laughs> and the religious guy behind you is like perking his ears up. What are you talking about? Right? But I understand how that could be helpful. It was it was a great place to be. I, I had a they were supportive, a hundred percent. And then from there, we bought a house at Bathurst and Wilson belonged to Orheim, which I wasn't so comfortable with at the beginning because everybody was sort of from from birth. Well, we but, need to explain these terms. So Orheim yeah. is, is a Talmudic school. It's a rabbinical school. That offers a mini, like a, a Shabbat service every Saturday. 
Um, and the people that attend, there's no rabbi. So the people who attend really know what they're doing, right. so to speak. It's, it's congreg- con- congregant-led versus uh, a paid rabbi or a paid chazan. Yes. Um, and I wasn't so comfortable at the beginning. When I had kids, became more comfortable because now I could identify with everybody because everybody had uh, plenty of children by the time I, I had started a family because they start young. Yes. I didn't. Um, and and I was very comfortable. at the. It became a really important part of my life, being part of that community. And you took it seriously. Yeah, like I, I took it seriously. We entertained all the time. We went to people's homes. I went to service to have kiddish and drank some more scotch. Did you wear a skirt all the time? I wore a skirt, um, not, but I wasn't strict about lengths or covering my, I was a little bit more liberal, a lot more liberal <laughs> than, you, than you other did, people. You didn't cover your hair. I never wore a hat. You never wore a hat and never wore a wig. No. Because amongst Orthodox women, very often, depending on how religious they are, they would wear a wig. Yeah. Why, why was that like, that was the red line, why? I remember getting married buying a hat, going to Shershman with his yeah. hat, and I, I did not feel myself the entire time. I felt right. like an imposter, <laughs> like I'm dressed up and this isn't me and what am I doing? And it didn't sit well with me. Yeah, didn't so sit well with me. when I went to Yeshiva at 13 years old, the Talmudic school, I, I had to wear a hat for prayer, like a fedora. Yeah. And I'm 13 years old, you look like a goof at 13 generally and then all of a sudden you put this fedora on your head and it slinks down over your ears right and then you look even goofier the worst thing at a third at 13 years old is to look goofy right so uh we used to take these hats and throw them around and play football with them and it was a huge thing in our school about wearing a hat an enormous thing half my high school years were spent in the office being disciplined about not wearing my hat to prayers it was really nonsense actually um from my perspective anyways okay okay so so you're growing as a religious woman right you're married a nice wedding Yes. Was it My nice? mother did everything. I just showed up. Your mom did everything? <laughs> everything. I did showed she? up. I uh, seriously didn't even know what the menu was. I showed up. How many people came? 300. Where was it? Ottawa. Bachelom Synagogue. Uh, did the Torontonians go back there? Yes, they did. Uh, plenty of Toronto people drove in. It was on the May long weekend. How so, were you? Did you look stunning? Because you were a model. I, you were I a model. I, I wasn't a model. I was selected out of a group of people who submitted photos to be part of a Chatelaine advertorial for Oil of Olay lipstick. And and that was like my one moment of, I've been on TV a few times to for makeover, so to speak, but I wouldn't call myself a model. Listen, <laughs> I was peeing in your bathroom and I'm standing there and I see a picture of you in a magazine. Yeah. Right, model. Yeah. You're a model. I don't know about a model, but anyways, you're selected. stunding, and you thank still are. You, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, you, what kind of? You remember what your dress looked like? Yes, my mother sold it. <laughs> it was really nice. I remember that we bought it at Mrs. Gershon's store, yeah. and I remember my mother had picked it out, and my mom did everything. Like, and she has yeah. great taste, so I didn't make a fuss. And was it low on the shoulders or high on the? No, shoulder? it was religious wedding, so okay. it had to like. I remember that was really important. No that elbows. My, yeah, my mother-in-law had to give a stamp of approval that it was you know modest enough. It was modest, and I felt great. I felt great. Was there a long train to it? No, just poofy, like 1980, 1990 poofy. And you loved it. Yeah, I remember the poofies. The poofy, yes, yeah. Yes. Poofy, everything was poofy. And the My women, hair was poofy. Right, your hair was poofy. <laughs> and they, and what do they call the, the your friends who 
walk down the aisle. I uh, had two um, bridesmaids. Um, who were they? Susie and Vicky. Uh, Vicky's a, a high school my friend since grade six. Okay. Uh, we were in French immersion together, and then in high school together, hung out plenty, and she was my best friend, and Susie was my best friend from the age of 16. Susie's still my best friend. Talked to her almost every day. Yes. Um, and they were there at my wedding. In fact, I just transferred the VH, those tapes from the VCR, which nobody has a VCR anymore, to a USB stick. Okay, I want to see it. And I, I just watched it a few weeks ago, and it's, it's, it's crazy. It was crazy. What did you force Susie and the other person to buy? So I didn't force. I wasn't that. You didn't? That's not my personality. Okay, so good. this is what I said to them: the color is white. Go out there, buy whatever you want to wear. Good. And they both wore white, and they were both looked amazing. They didn't buy like, these ugly, weird purple or green no, things. No, no, no. What's that all about? It was a Vic? white wedding. I was in white. My bridesmaids were in white. Uh, my mother was in white. My mother-in-law was in white. So could they wear their dresses again afterwards? Uh-huh, that was the point. Okay, they yes. could. They yes. could. Okay, yes. so you get yes. married. It's a beautiful wedding. Yes. Who was the rabbi who married you? Rabbi Bolka, right? No, not. No. I don't remember. You don't remember. Don't you don't remember. see? You should remember this. Oh. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Right, so you, you come back to Ottawa and you do your thing. You, you're a, you're, you're, you're a, a, a good wife. Um, and then you have a couple kids. Yeah, two. Uh, and, and how was that? Were you a good mom? Oh, was I good mom? Listen, we all make mistakes. It's we a do. journey, right? Yes. It's a journey. And we do good things. We do bad things. I'd like to think that my my kids were shaped by me and that I was a good role model in some respects. But we all make mistakes. Did, did, your, did your kids pick up on all... Oh, the Herb and Dina stuff? Oh, yeah. Like they the think partying, they the, yeah, the they, loving of life? 100%. Did they, they? Did they? They think they had the coolest grandparents. Yeah. Like, they still think they have, like, my mom is, like, still the coolest thing. That's a nice yeah. thing to have good, yeah. good, 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 good grandparents, isn't it? Yes. So they were close with them? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, what was it like for you to have? Like, how was the birth, by the way? How was your giving birth? I have a, it's all documented because I was big into documenting <laughs> I'm sure there was gourmet which food is why there. I have it. No, there's no gourmet food, but uh, it wasn't bad. It was like, really, it was okay. wasn't bad. I, I have to say I was really lucky because that was a big fear. Yeah. And one of the reasons I di- didn't even want to get pregnant because I was so fearful of, you hear all these nightmare stories and mine was not a nightmare story. It was really easy, really wonderful. I had great doctors, great experience. How long were you in labor for? Four hours. Which hospital? North York General for for Benjamin and for Rebecca Women's College. And did it did it hurt? No, no. It was really. I had a great experience. I was really, really lucky. The people who have bad experiences are those people who are in labor for twenty four hours. They miss all three days of sleep. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a nightmare for them. But you were okay. I was totally okay. I see. What do you attribute that to? Luck. Total luck. That, there is, is nothing you can do. Okay. There is nothing you can do. You're going to give birth, and there's you have no control over this. Yeah. So you didn't swear. I'm never having another no, child. No, no, God no, damn no, this. No, 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 no you didn't no, do that. No, no, no. It was great. It was uh, really great. How were you great. with little babies? Because everybody's different at different so ages. So I had never diapered a baby before. Right. So I wasn't one of those teenagers that you know loved babies and babysat babies. I was like that teenager who's like, yeah, I'll babysit them when they're five and older. You right. know, like I want them toilet trained, out of diapers. Yeah, so I, it was my first experience being a mother um, and being around babies. I remember we hired a young girl down the street, Ayella. Yeah. 
I forget Ayala's last name, but Ayala was like 15 who went to open out this religious day school. She was more comfortable with babies than <laughs> I was at the age of 30 because she was like the big sister to five other siblings. Yes. And that's what she did naturally was she hang was out. At it. She was fantastic. How did Fantastic. you feel? How did you feel about that? I was so lucky to have her in our oh, lives. Oh, you, like, you didn't think like, damn, like I'm a useless mom. Like, no, okay. it was amazing okay. to have this extra support because you don't feel so comfortable. Like I wasn't so confident in what I was doing, and she just took the babies, held the babies like it was like nothing. Well, what would you do all day? Did you go out and walk the kids? Oh, did I you walked. take them to bowling? What did you do? So I, it's all documented. I have a whole diary, which I should have brought. Like Monday was like mommy and me class. And Tuesday was like yeah. mommy and baby singing class. And yeah. Wednesday we did something else. And Thursday we did something. I kept super busy. And, it was, and was it enjoyable? I liked it. I liked it. And I really felt that it shaped my kids. That as opposed to sitting in inside in the house with them and it was just me and my kids looking at each other I exposed my kids to new environments to feel comfortable in new environments to feel okay if I had to leave there was no separation anxiety because they were used to different environments and I really do think that that shaped them that I got out of the house as much as I could yeah to participate in these classes you've never been a shut-in at any point of no, your life no. and your mom is in a senior's home now Correct. up north here and she's not a shut-in either like she moved in and then boom the next day she was on a, on a cruise Correct. Correct. <laughs> so you guys are like highly consistent we, yes yes <laughs> Highly consistent. Highly consistent. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to keep up with you as a friend. And now my kids are like that now. I know. I've raised children who keep moving. So they don't have time for you probably now. That's right. They're too busy. (laughs) Monday I'm doing this. I know. Okay, so, all right. So uh, I know that your son was born with some physical challenges. Correct. Uh, And and, uh, how did you cope with with, uh, his stuff? So Benjamin was born missing a femur bone. Yes. And often people ask me, how did you cope and how did you react? And I often say to them, listen, nobody told me my child was going to die. Nobody told me my child needed an operation right away. It wasn't related to his heart, breathing, like major organs. I was like, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that there were two, two major influences during that time that really helped me cope with this new challenge in life of being a mother with uh, a child with a missing a femur bone. Uh, War Amps of Canada had a matching mothers program. So they matched, there's I think three, I think the stats are one out of 350,000 children are born with missing a femur bone. So we were connected with three kids in Ontario, four actually, four in Ontario, one in Peterborough, one in Niagara, one at Bathurst and Eglinton, and also three, sorry, three, three kids, yeah. Mm -hmm. And within like a week, we were driving out to Peterborough to meet one of these children who was about, say, 10 at the time, and we met her parents, and they showed us her artificial leg, and they showed us videos of her figure skating, and we felt so much, we felt such relief. We were so grateful that they opened their house to us. And then one day, maybe, I don't think Benjamin was a year old, we got all the families together and we invited them over for a Sunday brunch. Yes. And we talked to the parents and we met the kids and again, instrumental to see all the kids and talk to the parents. And then, um, so I, I have, I'm forever grateful to Warrants of Canada for that Matching Mothers program. And I'm 
like really grateful to Orheim, the community that I was part of. There was a few doctors that came over within like a, the first week. The first three days, the first two days, they had all gone to the library. They had all, in their respective hospitals, came over with a gift bag full of, you know, literature about this this particular really? congenital deformity. And it was really nice. It was really nice that reassuring your kid's going to be okay. Wow. You're going to be okay. It was nice. Well, doctors came doctors, over. Like, who, yeah. who else came over? Uh, like moms? So... All, a lot of people came over with gifts and and support. It was it was really wonderful. But was it was it at all uh, traumatic for you? It was overwhelming. Overwhelming. It was overwhelming. Because he didn't have a femur bone. Being a new mother is yeah. overwhelming. All yeah. of a sudden the doorbells ringing like from here to tomorrow with people dropping off gifts and uh, it was overwhelming. And the phone calls and you're tired and you're a new mother and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. What well, well, yeah. War Amps of Canada would be that uh, organization that you get in the mail every single year, the thing that you would attach yes, to your keychain. Yes, Do, yes. I'm assuming you make donations yes, to them. Yes, yes, yes. And, and to sick that, kids, and to sick kids. Both. And you have that on your on your uh, keychain as well? I actually don't. I used to, so but I don't. So most people don't. Yeah. It's wise, though, in case you lose your keychain. And they were good folk. Yeah. That, were, that Matching Mothers program was amazing. Are you in, I don't know what I would have done without that Matching, matching Mothers program. Are you in touch with them at all? I'm in touch the with the families. I mean, um, two of the three lost touch with the Peterborough family, but the family of Bathers and Eglinton. Uh, she's now a para, uh, Paralympic skier, and in touch with the, the the young gentleman from Niagara, who's now in his forties and, right. and a father. Yeah. So I mean, I guess it's safe to say that this helped shape you as a woman, as a human being. Yeah. Right. And uh, did you ever feel less than as a woman, as a mother? Because of this, or there no, was not. You were not, just totally accepting. I was totally. This accepting. is my child. That's right. That's right. I will love him. Love any child. Yes. Yeah. So I've seen that with other people, and at the end of the day, is that you know, like, yeah, the society wants to impose shit on people, but moms or dads just say, no, this is my child. End yeah. of story. Right. Yeah. And I do what I need to do. Correct. Right. So, Vic, your your uh, journey continued. And I guess being religious wasn't all it was cut out to be for you because you gave it up. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You gave it up. And and you gave it up. What year are we looking at here now? 2011. Okay. And and, and can we ask you why you gave it up? Yeah. So I I got separated. Sadly, the marriage did not um, flourish. And I found myself being separated and having to make that decision you know, as am I going to be observant or not being observant? And it was pretty clear cut that I wanted to go back to my original roots. It was pretty clear that religious life was was not for me, and that I'd like to go back to my roots of how I grew up. Yeah, why was is, that? It was restrictive. Like I'll give you an example. I I had never gone to a farmers market because they were only on Saturdays, and <clears throat> now I get to go to farmers markets. I don't necessarily want to go to Yorkdale Shopping Center. To be honest, I avoid York, York, I other shopping centers on Saturday. I I, I, I don't go grocery shopping on Saturday. I, I still have that mentality of this is a day for me, and I don't really want to do errands. Um, the only errand I want to do is go to a farmer's market. Again, continuing that theme of food that is important in my life. Right, right. So it's kind of interesting because while you were able to do something as an individual, in other words, go to a farmer's market, you gave up your community. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. So what was that like? Sad. Sad. They were really a big part of my life. 
So you, did you know when you became uh, not religious that that would be uh, an inevitable piece of it? No, I did not know. I, I was not either, prepared yeah. for that. So it's funny. You get divorced and your divorced friends, they, they, you know, counsel you, guide you, they talk to you. And most of the subject matter is really related to a divorced lawyer, how to get divorced. But nobody talks about you know two things how it's it's going to affect your social life yeah and the new status of being single and nobody really talks about dating and what that's going to be like yeah. um but everybody is very happy to talk to you about lawyers and mediation <laughs> and and you know people who can help you and and they do help you um in that process and i'm grateful to those friends but i i lost a, a whole chunk of friends you did well I why did. would that be uh i think i moved out of the neighborhood a kilometer away so out of sight out of mind I didn't go to that synagogue anymore right I was dating somebody non-Jewish at the beginning I think all those reasons people said you know bye yeah so I mean here's another example of, of uh, so you lose the community but you dove right into your new world your new life yeah I, did. I remember um, how's it going Vic okay so you seeing anybody? Yeah, like Steve McDonald, you know, I make up a name, but you know what I mean? Like he wasn't Jewish, that's for right, sure. Right, so you right. went from a very orthodox lifestyle correct, to, to dating a non-Jewish guy, which would have been poo-poo in your previous life. Correct. Yeah, so what was that like? Um, listen, I, I, I needed, I liked being in a relationship, and those relationships were exactly what I needed at that time. Right. They were perfect for me at that time. Moving forward, I, I've changed my dating sort of style. Uh, I'm committed to only dating Jewish guys now. Mm -hmm. I have a daughter living in Israel. Things are a little different. I have kids who, you know, are quote unquote, I have a 23 year old who I'd like to be a positive role model. Your daughter's in the, in the Israel Defense Force. Correct. Right, right. But at that time you needed to date non-Jewish guys? Why, I just why, needed something Different. different like different you were choking a little bit yeah yeah and i and i did date men who were completely different not just religion everything about their lives were different yeah i was thinking to myself because this is not the first time that i brought up the whole issue around dating non-jewish people and after i brought it up the first time i was thinking to myself i wonder how our non-Jewish listeners are going to, going to take that. I mean, a lot of people know that within the Jewish community, there is a huge expectation, or was, mm -hmm. amongst many, that your child is gonna date a Jew, right? That that has changed. Any cultural job. My, my Greek hairdresser right. really wanted right. her Greek son. She was so disappointed that her son came home with somebody that wasn't Greek. R She's like, I raised him Greek, we went to Greek church, he speaks Greek at home, I serve Greek food, he's been to Greece, like there's roots there, how did he not not marry somebody like she was really disappointed yeah and and i think i share a similar sentiment as you because i was brought up religiously and at 21 i gave that up um and i did date many non-jewish women um and it's a whole new world it's a whole new it's world. a whole new world the culture is different mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the approach to life is different mm -hmm. and i think that's what i was struggling with i wanted uh, to spread my wings if you will i wanted to fly i wanted to see uh, new things, taste new tastes, and be with different types of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that is that unusual. It's not that unusual, right? There's no. a lot of kids who go through that, probably more now 
because the opportunities are greater to do that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like we you're all, living, you're all, living your life. Correct. Okay, correct. so li- listen, we have about uh, maybe ten minutes left. Oh, wow! And I think we would be, <laughs> <laughs> I think we would be remiss, Vic, if we yeah. didn't talk about food. Oh, sure. Yeah, Let's yeah, we it. didn't talk about food, but Let's I think we, it. I think we did a really good job at getting to sort of the essence. The, the core of, of what stimulates you so much when it comes to food, right? So you just became vegan. Was Correct. it a year it's now? Correct, it's been a year. All because I watched a Netflix documentary called What the Health? Yes. And then I was like cleaning out my fridge and freezer within three days. But, and how was it for you to go from eating briskets, <laughs> you know, to cabbage steaks? It's fantastic. Is I it? love my vegetables. My stomach feels great. Right, right. I, I have no, I'm not lacking. I, I cheat on occasion. Oh, so do you? How do you I cheat? Do on food that really makes me happy. Like what? Uh, so I cheated this year on oysters. Yes. Lobster, chopped liver, um, fish, sushi. On Saturday night, I had beautiful sushi. Yeah. And you're okay with that? I'm okay with it. Yeah. Did you cheat when you were Orthodox too? Turn on the light, watch TV. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. you've cheated your whole life. I've cheated. <laughs> like I said, I, I'm a good, a kind of a good role model for my kids. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you're yeah, a yeah, lot better yeah. than yeah. I am. You're pretty disciplined. Um, so, so okay, so you're vegan now, and how has that changed your life? You have a new kitchen. Um, how did it change my life? Like I said, my gut feels better. Like it I'm does. walking around feeling good versus yeah. feeling like somebody kicked me in the stomach. I was lactose intolerant for about 10 years. Yeah. I should have been off dairy 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I loved it. I worked in, in, I sold cheese curds. I mean, I love cheese. I've taken cheese classes. I love cheese. What um, are cheese classes? Oh, so I took a cheese and mixology course in New York. I did took you? a cheer, uh, cheese and beer class again in New York at Murray's Cheese Shop. I um, took cheese classes at Leslieville Cheese Shop with a famous cheese person. Uh, uh, her name is Julie Rogers, I believe. Many classes with her Year, years ago before blogging, like right. years ago. What do you love about cheese? Oh, there's like the, <laughs> the flavors, the stinkiness, the creaminess, <laughs> the gooiness. I mean, it's like the ultimate. You know, you have not been this expressive this entire show <laughs> for about cheese. your father's death, yeah, exactly. <laughs> your cheese. leadership qualities, exactly. but cheese. cheese. Oh. This is an interesting thing about cheese because Joan, uh, who's my friend, yeah. and she did a show with us. Also, she I think she went vegan once and she couldn't sustain it because of cheese. cheese. Yeah. Now, I've always stayed away from cheese because it, it binds me, right? But it doesn't mean I don't like it. But the passion, would you say that people's passion for cheese would be greater than, let's say, a passion for meat, as mm. an example? Is there That's something about question. cheese? There's something about cheese. People are also very passionate about meat. They like, are. Ser- men are very serious about their meat. That's true. Like barbecue pitmaster guys, they're really serious. I don't know what it is about cheese, but people are very passionate about cheese. You like stinky cheese? Oh, yeah. Which I, one's the stinky cheese? The blue cheese? The blue. blue. What do you like about stinky? I don't know. Stinky There's something cheese. like delicious. Yeah. About all salty and everything. The smell doesn't bother you. No. Camembert? No. Love it. Love it all. Also, I like All Camber. of it. There's not a cheese that I would say no. Have you gone down to the cheese uh, counter at the St. Lawrence Center here in Toronto? Oh, yeah. yeah the, and what would you do there? Like, what happens when you get there? So, I used to say to the guy that I'd be a, I'll be a very good customer if you can give me lots of cheese, but at a, I want less than 100 grams. Okay. Because I'm, it's a party of one. It's for me only, for whatever reason. I 
and I didn't want to have big chunks of cheese, and I wanted to try a variety of cheeses. Oh, right. And so was, whatever cheesemonger would allow me to do that, they got my business. Oh, so they were they were amenable yeah, some, to it. Some were complaints. And you that. would take home these cheeses. Yeah. And you would eat them. Yeah. And you would get sick. Yeah, pretty much because like my stomach didn't like it. And what would you say? What would you say? No cheese again, or would you say okay? Never, never. <laughs> no, no. So I survived on lactose pills at, from Costco. I'd buy like these big jars of them, and I'd keep them in my kitchen, in my purse, in the car. Like they, they were everywhere. It's because interesting. I ate dairy all the time. And and you were willing to get sick. Oh yeah. For ten years. How do you? What do you bring that down to? What do you? What is that? I loved it. You just loved, loved it. Cheese. Just loved it. Okay, so you gave up cheese. Gave it up. When was the last time you had cheese? Oh, I a year. Like really, I, have, I haven't cheated on cheese because it really doesn't agree and, with and me. And you think about it. I look at it. I stand there. I mean, I I really want it, but I know it's not good for so me. So like Beethoven could hear music in his head after he went deaf. Could can you taste the cheese? in your brain yeah i can see its gooeyness i can oh, yeah i'm dying here i know honestly I know, I know. you can have vegan grilled cheese i know it's not the same <laughs> not there's close. not even close. no it's not even no. close so what are the, some of the things that you like making of a vegan nature so i like anything that's going to be colorful i think we eat because it's it's there's colors and textures yeah. and, and a variety of flavors and, and that is sort of, you could say, what turns me on yes. to make a particular dish. Okay. It's yeah. interesting, by the way, because every time that I've been at your home, um, your display of food is really quite magnificent. Thank like, you. I remember Thank once you. you came here and I made dinner for you. My son was here as well. And you really waxed on and on about my serviettes. Yes, I love napkins. I, I like anything that's pretty flowers yeah. napkins yeah. i have a napkin collection i was so grateful i have to tell you <laughs> and i mean to me the kicker was you know where i got those serviettes no at a dollar store yeah i bought at the really dollar. nice yes. ones yes yeah is there a secret in buying nice serviettes like so what do you do the secret is matching them to the flowers to the flowers and to the placemat or to the tablecloth mm -hmm. it's like a whole tablescape table setting thing and and i spend too much time on pinterest looking at it. you really like i really it. do yeah I, I don't know what it is but i really like it well, what would be what's your your uh, your best possible dream for like the best job you could possibly have so when i worked for uja that was really a great job for me because it was special events where i had to do menu planning flower arrangements table settings and that was perfect for me I see, I but see. you couldn't pay me to do that again because, couldn't pay me because i don't want to walk around with a to-do list anymore oh yeah i understand so I, I i'm done with that i'm done with those small details i'm done i'll do it for myself at home for my friends and mm -hmm. family mm -hmm my pleasure I, but not not right so what do you sell now you work for a fellow now a small company yeah i'm working for a company called unbun foods mm -hmm. and they make a paleo keto gluten-free grain-free kosher bun and they make a vegan bun and a baguette and you can find these buns in 300 locations my territory is the United States of America. The entire country. Yeah, and I'm having grand time. Have you sold stuff? I have. Like to whom? Uh, stores in Indiana and Dakota and uh, New Jersey, California. How'd you yeah. find them? Uh, internet. So you get on the phone with a store in Indiana. Tell yeah. us what happened. I introduce myself. Hi, I'm Vicki Wise. Yeah, I tell them what I'm like. I'm uh, what I'm selling. I describe it to them. Ask them if they'd like samples. I send them samples. 
done a follow-up, which is critical in sales, and generally they place a, some place an order. Like how much would they buy? There are a minimum of three cases. How much would that cost them? Uh, $194 US. Okay, and, and do you have to work really hard to get quantity in order for you to make money? Like, have you made any money? Well, you're on salary. I'm, I'm on salary with a small commission. And that's good? That yeah, works I'm out fine. well? Yeah, I'm fine. As long, I'm happy, and happiness is ki- critical to me at this stage. My happiness is critical. So I had another job offer. It was four pages. It was a real salary, real benefits, real car allowance. And I turned it down to work for a startup, making not as much money with no car allowance and no benefits, because really, I want to be happy. And well, I picked the right... I, I did... I did okay. So shout out to him. Yeah. If somebody wants to buy those paleos, where where would they find them? Uh, Whole Foods. Whole Foods. No, like could they be in touch oh. with you? Yeah, sure. Is there an email? What is it? Uh, Vicky at unbunfoods.com. Unbun. Unbun. Yeah. Vicky, V-I-C-K-Y. What's paleo, Vic? Paleo is a, a type of diet that is it's popular, perhaps not as popular as keto, which is low carb. Mm-hmm. Um, this Saturday, we're at a, a low carb trade show or consumer show you could say at the delta hotel um and it's sold out like the keto diet is is a thing it's a growing category as oh, they okay, say cool so if i come up to your booth right yeah Let, let's say i'm one of these guys from yeah. indiana what have you um and i'm interested in in the bun so i go hi how you doing yeah 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 it's real <laughs> nice to meet you i noticed that you have paleo would, buns. would you here. like a sample yeah because the sample speaks volumes in my opinion like Sampling is critical for any food company. The yes. more people taste it, the more they will buy it. Yeah, sometimes they'll buy it because the packaging's pretty or they've, they're curious, but it's really because you've tried something. Right, right. Okay, so I want to buy a case of it. I want a case. Great, I can help you with that. Okay, you can send it to us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. You're not a lot of fun here. <laughs> so listen, Vic, I, w- I want to wrap up. Um, sure. And I want to wrap up with just a couple questions. It's yeah. the way I like to close the store. Are, 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 are we as humankind, are we as, as good as uh, we can get? Are we doing a good job? No, we can do better. How, how can we do better? Uh, more goodness, less violence, all of, all of that stuff. You, do you see a lot of goodness, though, in your life? Yeah, people are good. People are thoughtful. People are compassionate. It's nice. I do see it. What about pursuing your dreams? Would it be appropriate to say that you have pursued your dreams? hundred percent. So what, what's the secret of pursuing your dreams? Knowing yourself, knowing what makes you happy. Yeah. That's important. And you don't compromise that at I all? I don't compromise. I know what makes me happy. Right. And what are the fundamental things that make you happy, would you say? Food. <laughs> you just love food, huh? I like food. I you like really being surrounded do. by food. I like the earth. So this year I went to a carrot festival and a broccoli farm yeah. and a Brussels sprouts farm and I've been to an asparagus farm. And I, I've learned that being out there yeah. makes me happy. Isn't that something? So yeah. just let me ask you a question, which is I'm projecting all over you now, sure, right that's now. Okay. okay I'm, I'm really throwing up my existential <laughs> stuff all over you. Because it always, I'm always curious and I ask the same question about basketball players and hockey players. Like, I can't imagine giving 5, 10, 15, 20 years of my life to a sport. I just can't imagine it. But by the same token, is there meaning in your life because of food? Like, let's say, Sure, God look at my forbid. connection to you is because of food, right? Uh, so I came over with soup for you, and I drop off cookies yeah. to somebody else, yeah. and somebody's sick, and I drop off magazines. Like, there is no doubt that there's food is uh, a way to form friendships it's a, f- a way of saying thank you it's a way of being kind to somebody who's yes. sick it, 
food is interpreted in so many different ways. So listen, you just did a brilliant job of bringing this sh- this show all the way around to a circle. Nice job, because Thank that, you. that's the function of the host, which I just screwed up. <laughs> no, um, so yeah, so I guess the last question is, you are a very kind person. Thank you. Really, uh, honestly, like I, I think you set the bar for kindness, and I'm I'm not Thank saying you. that to be nice. I truly believe it. You've been kind to me more often than I can possibly remember. Like, there's not a lot of people who go out of their way like you do. I know a few people, but what is that? What what what, what is that? So the Orheim community went out of their way to be kind to me, and I learned about kindness from that community. They went out of their way when yeah. I gave birth to Benjamin, when Benjamin had surgery. When I was separated, there were families who who still called me up to wish me Rosh Hashanah. I still received Purim donations this past Purim, this Jewish holiday that just happened. There are still some people who still reach out to me, and it means a ton to me. These people were in my lives for 21 years, and I learned a lot from them. Um, and I miss I miss that community. And, yes. But the fr- the few people that you know um, have s- continued to be kind to me, and and it means a lot to me. Right. So selfishness, when it comes into your life, what do you do? You, do? Mm. you meet a not guy so, who's selfish, he's I'm not, not good so to good you? I'm not so good with that. I'm not so good with that. No. No. And, I, and, I, and, it, and it, it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't. No. Right. It's not well, a trait that I admire. So I'm really happy you did the show. Thank you. Yeah, because I know you tried to weasel out of it. I know it took two months. (laughs) It was good, though. And then ultimately, what was really cool is you phoned me up. You said, okay, let's do it next Tuesday. That's right. Right. And then I brought the letters. You you asked as a good host to bring something, and I brought something, and that made me feel great. And it made me it It felt great to talk about my passions. It felt great to talk about Warms of Canada and Orheim and kindness and and being happy. Yeah. And and pursuing your dreams. It was nice and pursuing your dreams you came to it on your own too like i didn't have to force you no one thing i've realized about the show when i force people to do it and i was i push them push them come on we'll do it it it, honestly never works out it never works out so thank you for doing this thank you i I, I really enjoyed it i want to i want to conclude the show by really suggesting to people that they look deeply inside of themselves to determine exactly you know what is their vegan food what is their uh bun (laughs) <laughs> we use your business as an analogy. You know, what really gets them going? Because there's nothing in life, and existence is short, is it not? Well, how, yeah. how old was your dad when he died? Uh, 80, 86. A short time on earth. Yeah. My dad was 61. So the life is short, and we have to do, if we're able to do, what is right for us on earth, right? We have to pursue our passions and our dreams as best as we possibly Mm -hmm. can. Sometimes we end up doing other things, but we have to muster up the strength and the courage to be passionate about those things. Um, So I guess the bottom line is be passionate. Yes, and and it seems like when I look at my friends, my friends are passionate. Are they? Yeah, 100%. Everybody has an interest, whether it's cycling, whether it's community, whether it's food, whether it's technology. Whether it's reading, I have one friend she reads like a cr- tremendous amount on Facebook, and and it, it and it inspires me. It yes. inspires me to be surrounded by all these people who are pursuing their passion. Me too. Me too. So really, that's the message today yeah. on episode fourteen with Vicky Weiss. Pursue your passion and pursue it with a vengeance. It'll just make you happy. Mm-hmm. Make you happier mm-hmm. anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to thank everybody for listening. It's been a delight. Uh, please stay with the show. I had a wonderful 
wonderful experience this morning at five o'clock in the morning. I was on my cell phone. I couldn't sleep last night very much. And I saw this guy by the name of Pat Rush. Well, Pat Rush has played guitar with Johnny Winters, with Buddy Guy, with Jeff Healy, with the Elman Brothers. He lives here in Toronto. Hmm. And I emailed him at five in the morning. And I said, Pat, would you consider coming on Hat Radio? And he said, yeah, awesome. I would. Awesome. I know. I That's know. That's really nice. I was actually you. thinking while I was doing this, I had this sense this is going to work, right? Now, whether he comes on the show or not, he said he would. He may not. Things change, right? Mm-hmm. But I just had this sense I think I'm going to connect on this one. Awesome. And, and I did. So, you know, the moral of the story is don't sleep (laughs) and you'll get some good stuff done so thanks for listening we look forward to having you back Uh, if you have any questions please feel free to email us or uh, you know if you have suggestions for guests I'm always open and uh, yeah so you listen to Hat Radio it's the show that schmoozes we schmoozed yeah we schmoozed and God bless (laughs) you've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig sponsored by Goodness and Positivity Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room, share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned, keeping the flame of faith burning. I want to know where you've been, what you found out. Spread some light in the darkness, spread it all about in the height. In the high